0: How long will it take us to get there? Weeks? Months, perhaps? I don't know. I've never taken a woman on safari with me before. Have I been a handicap? The fun hasn't started yet.
1: When it does, I'm sure we'll all enjoy it. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Arathlin. I'm David Dahl. And this week we watched the fourth, film in the 1950 nominees king solomon's minds
0: the movie that dares to ask the question what if trader horn was in color
1: (laughs) i yeah exactly yeah (laughs) or like what if trader horn was kiss me kate
0: yeah but
1: without the music
0: um yeah Yeah. it's
1: you know I feel like we probably don't actually use the word problematic on this podcast as much as perhaps (laughs) one would think we would. But I could not watch this movie without spending the entire hour and a half and change wondering what they paid the people where they shot on location to be in this film. Because they're thanked at the beginning. It's like, thank you very much to the people of Uganda and Kenya and the Congo. Great. But what did you pay them? Yeah. And I couldn't find any information about it at all. They were doing work. They were acting. It didn't seem like they were being horribly exploited. And while this film has a very complicated relationship to colonialism and race... We have seen way more racist stuff than this.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I think it's the same traitor horn thing of it's so busy being sexist, it doesn't have time to be as racist as it could be.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's like, (laughs) hey, these black men understand that I, a white man, think this white lady crazy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah and and that's really where everyone is joined is in misogyny
0: (laughs) yeah i guess we should do the quick plot description this movie does something that is always a terrible fucking sign for me where i'm like 45 minutes into the movie and i look up the wikipedia plot description and we're not at the second paragraph yet We are introduced to our lead character, Alan Quartermain, touring people around so that they can shoot elephants and he can be judgmental about it, but still let them shoot elephants.
1: Well, I mean, it's not a matter of letting them. They're going to do it anyway.
0: (laughs) I mean, he is their guide.
1: I mean, if we're going to get into the question of big game hunting, I have a lot of thoughts on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, here is the thing. I am fascinated by the character of Alan Quatermain because I just think it's such a weird historical thing that there was this literary character who in the 19th century was absolutely huge and really into the 20th century. He was sort of this James Bond level figure, had all these novels, was a big thing, was kind of on that level of Sherlock Holmes and had an Academy Award for Best Picture nominated movie in 1950. And by 1990, nobody knew who the fuck Alan Quartermain was. Just completely dropped off the map. And I was sort of fascinated by that. And then we watched this movie and like three minutes in, I was like, Oh, it's because Alan Quatermain is like racist and sexist and like has a very 19th century understanding of what it is to protect animals. Like that Teddy Roosevelt thing of like, only people who truly know the buffalo should shoot it in the face.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, Teddy Roosevelt's whole argument was that he did more for conservation than anyone else because he shot a lot of animals and then brought their bodies to the United States so people could see them. Right. <laughs> Which, like, there is an argument to be made there, but I'm glad that that's not how we go about conservation anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the the thing that I thought was going to be interesting about this movie ceased being interesting basically immediately because I was no longer interested in the question of, like, why Alan Quatermain fell off. It's because he's intensely problematic and didn't adapt with the times, like, at all in the back half of the 20th century. Nobody even really tried to figure out a new thing to do with him except for Alan Moore with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And the thing that Alan Moore did was go, this guy is a relic of the past. <laughs> like, there's just no place for him anymore. <laughs> then the plot of this movie, I guess, is that Quatermain is hired for a ridiculously huge sum of money by Deborah Kerr's character, who is a woman who wants to go on safari to find what happened to her husband, who went off into unexplored territory trying to find the fabled diamond mind of King Solomon. Then for an hour basically nothing happens there's just a lot of nature photography and a lot of quartermain pointing at things and going look there's a snake and like th- to be fair, I think that's the most interesting part of the movie, and the least problematic part of it.
1: The National Geographic parts are pretty fun. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, look, there's a stampede, look, there's a snake, there's a bug, there's a whatever. <laughs> they apparently shot so many miles of footage of animals that the film for this movie was used in four other MGM films (laughs) over the course of like 40 years because they just had tons of extra animal footage.
0: Genuinely, the most impressive thing about this movie is how often Stuart Granger, that's who's playing Quartermain, points off into the distance off camera and goes like, look, there's incredibly specific thing. And you're like, Well, you're not going to have footage of that. That's going to be like a weird puppet or something. And then honest to God, it's like two jaguars having a fight or something. And you're like, fuck, how'd they get that? How'd they line that up?
1: What's interesting to me is that both in this and in Traitor Horn, the white guy who goes off to be like the safari guide becomes really disenchanted with all the animals. (laughs) And I'm wondering if this portrayal is based on Harry Carey as Trader Horn, or if that's in the books or we're all white guys who run off to be safari guides. Just like, yeah, fucking zebras, whatever. Ugh, giraffes. See like 20 of those a day. Don't care. Lions, whatever.
0: I mean, I honestly think it's that this is the progenitor character. It's like how all spies are a little bit James Bond. Like all characters are a little bit in this mold of Quartermain, who is just like, so British, he's tired of all this shit. (laughs) That's the thing that's frustrating about the character that I was trying to say about the elephant big game hunting scene, is that there's this sense from him of like, he's too good for this shit, but he keeps doing it. (laughs)
1: I mean, you got to eat, right?
0: Uh, yeah, but I mean, the argument for it is like, yeah, you could go back to England and do basically anything else, but you're the best at this, is the, the the argument his friend makes for why he shouldn't just quit, even though he hates everything about his job at the start of the movie. But we should, I guess we should do the plot. Like, it could not matter less. They end up traveling with this mysterious native figure, who wants to go into unexplored territory. And they're like, wow, that's super weird and suspicious. But beggars can't be choosers. We're in a bad situation and more bodies is always helpful. And then they find this lone fugitive guy who's gone like half crazy and is living with a native tribe. And he tries to turn the native tribe on them to kill all of them because Quartermain is so smart. He's figured out this guy was a fugitive. I mean, to be fair, that's not really... I just hate this movie. To be fair, the guy is incredibly, obviously shady from the moment you see him. And the movie does not pretend like only Quartermain could figure this out. Yeah. But Quartermain takes him hostage and they run off and Quartermain's right-hand man, his second one in the movie to die, gets shot and Quartermain mourns him for about 30 seconds. Yeah,
1: that that, that might actually be longer than the film gets. <laughs>
0: Then they like finally get to the place where the diamond mind is going to be and find that there's this sort of like isolated native tribe and that the guy who decided to come along with them is like the secret lost king of this tribe. And there's an evil usurper to the throne that tries to kill them. If this all sounds incredibly hasty, it's because all of this is like shoved into the last 20 minutes of the movie. It's crazy. Um, they like shoot all tribesmen and they're like, well, we shouldn't keep trying to capture these people because they have a gun and instead lead them to the diamond mine where they find out that Deborah Kerr's husband is like a skeleton now. And so she can make out with Quartermain and she proceeds to like look deeply into his eyes, like over her husband's dead body, basically. And then they get trapped in there by the king's evil advisor whose name is Gagool. So that sentence should give you a sense of this entire movie. They find their way out through like a secret seam in the cave and then come back just in time to see the evil usurper and the secret king have an incredibly poorly choreographed fight sequence.
1: Oh, it's really bad.
0: It's fucking terrible. And we
1: are at a point in history now where... Fight choreography can be really good. So there is no fucking excuse for this.
0: The wild thing about this fight is that they are like facing off with weirdly shaped swords because it's Africa and so they can't just have normal swords. And the good king knocks the blade out of the bad king's hand. And then one of his supporters like throws him a new sword and Quartermain's like, that's a sticky wicket. No, sir. But they like hold him back. Then they have to keep fighting. And it's like, wow, it's really unfair. This guy has more than one weapon. And then just like by magic, the new king has a javelin and just throws it at the guy. And that's the end of the fight. And you're like, where'd he get the fucking javelin? (laughs) Did he have that on his back? And I just didn't notice. It's definitely not what he was fighting with for the whole fight. It's <laughs> Anyway, I'm focusing on this because the movie is then done 30 seconds later. It is jump cut to them, like, walking back towards civilization and the good king waving at them. And that's the end of the movie. Did
1: you mention the mine part, though?
0: I did. I said they got led to the Diamond Mine where they find Deborah Care's dead husband. And she immediately starts making googly eyes with Quartermain.
1: Oh, but you missed the part where they get trapped in the mine for 30 seconds.
0: (laughs) No, I did mention that because they're trapped in the mine by the evil advisor, Gagool. Oh,
1: yeah, right, right, right. Yes, yes. Sorry, it happened so fast, both in the film and in your description, that I missed it.
0: That's the thing, is that the plot is utterly forgettable and the movie forgets its plot for long stretches and just introduces things and then is immediately bored by them.
1: Yeah, the movie is 103 minutes long, of which I would say like 30 minutes of it is taken up by this plot and the rest of it is like vistas and animals and animals and vistas yeah so i'm a sucker for that shit absolutely and this is not a good movie and i'm not gonna say that it is and i'm not gonna grade it well because it's not good yeah is it better than trader horn uh i mean i don't think i watched a man die on film so like my enjoyment of it was certainly higher and it does have Believe it or not, if you haven't listened to the Trader Horn episode or haven't seen Trader Horn, a more sensible plot.
0: <laughs> yeah. It not having much of one, it really vastly improves on Trader Horn's plot.
1: <laughs> <sighs> yes, exactly. But seeing the animals, and there's a scene with this incredible waterfall, and there's these mountains, and there's a point where they cross a desert, which I don't think could be the sahara but looks like the sahara just because of where they are geographically yeah the cave that they're in is actually in carlsbad caverns but is still really impressive so i really liked watching this movie (laughs) but in a like seven year old who loves the zoo way (laughs)
0: I am less for that shit, and also that this movie immediately starts with them having actually killed an elephant. Is like...
1: Did they actually kill the elephant?
0: I think so, yeah. There was no... No animals were harmed in the making of this film message at the end of it, and I can't figure out what they could have possibly done but just shoot that elephant.
1: Oh, that sucks. I mean, conversely, I think that, you know... Well, I, don't, I just don't have any justification for that. I was going to be like, I don't think they were as endangered as, at that point, but there's no excuse for shooting something th- I mean, period for the point of hanging it on your wall, except for the fact, so here's something that I learned when I went on Safari to at an Animal Preserve, is that a lot of these animal preserves actually start out as places for big game hunters to come and pay like a hundred thousand dollars to shoot like a lion that has rabies. So it has to be put down. And then like that money goes to found the animal preserve. Yeah. I don't think that was the case in 1950. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, maybe it was, but I think this is a pretty like 1980s forward development. I'm just throwing that out there as a number. I have absolutely no idea if it was that recent or that long ago yeah i mean
0: it should be fair i don't know for sure that that is true but i have no idea how you would have done that shot if they didn't kill an elephant like i spent some time thinking about it because it's not like there was a whole lot else occupying my mind for the movie
1: see yeah you were thinking about that and i'm thinking about whether or not the African people who were in it were actually paid.
0: Yeah, also a good question.
1: Either way... Ah, okay, so at the start of the film, I actually don't know if this is true. This is a comment on IMDb. (laughs) Okay, okay. But it says that in one of East Africa's game parks, there were too many elephants for the environment, and therefore some had to be culled by professional hunters.
0: Okay. Like, I... Like... (laughs) would like okay i sure
1: uh but apparently what no one had expected and what has never been captured on film before or since was that the other elephants would come to the aid of their companion and try to support him yeah that sucked I think that's actually what makes it so fucking devastating yeah because it's a little elephant too yeah it's not a big one they
0: just shot a child and everybody else is like what the fuck yeah like it's I
1: again I don't know if any of that is true I don't
0: know either it could very well be true it could also be just sort of what they say i'm not sure we really could definitively say whether that was anything or not uh yeah
1: or someone else says that it was an indian elephant which would make sense for its size that was trained to fall down and indian elephants are trainable okay and small so i have no fucking idea
0: yeah that just makes me more suspicious of the first story that they're like I don't know, or it's not really dead. Who could say? It needed to be shot, or it didn't, and isn't even an elephant, and nobody knows. It's impossible to say. Is like, ah, great. I don't, I don't love this.
1: It's strange that they included it, right? Because it's not necessary for me to understand what Quartermain's job is at all. Yeah, like they could have missed. It could have been like, oh, okay, rich English guy who came here to shoot elephants you're a bad shot. And I still would have been like, okay, but Quartermain is a badass, fine.
0: I mean, the weird thing is the only thing that scene establishes is that Quartermain is like there to make sure more elephants don't get shot, which sure, man, whatever. God, I hate this movie.
1: Yeah, see, I don't hate it as much as you did because I liked seeing all of the non-murdered animals. I mean, when
0: the positive things about this movie can be summed up, as a random white guy going, Anteater! And then there's a shot of an anteater. I don't need to... First of all, don't nominate it for an Academy Award. Like, I understand that going to Africa presents real technical challenges and shooting on location on another continent is a big deal. But that is a technical category thing and not a, like, general filmmaking thing. And also just like this is for TV like it's notable that the rental copy I got like had Turner in front of it because this is such a Turner classic movie just churn it out. This is just on it like 10 a.m. in the morning on a Tuesday movie. <sighs>
1: yeah, well, you got to watch something when you're homesick sick with the cold and you're nine.
0: I had another experience of weird deja vu, which is becoming a thing I should maybe stop commenting about as we get into movies I've seen before. But, like, I realized I'd watched the final battle of this movie, if you can call it that, on the TV at the gym one time.
1: Whoa, that's wild. I'm amazed that they actually play this on television. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I can totally see them playing this on television when I was a kid, but not, like, in the Tur- last 10 years.
0: Turner Classic Movies is still doing it as of, I mean, it must have been like 2019, early 2020, because I haven't been to the gym in a minute, but was still doing it two years ago.
1: Why are you watching Turner Classic Movies at the gym when you have to do this podcast? <laughs> uh,
0: because there's 14 monitors on and my other options are like the in-gym 24-hour fitness music channel Ugh. and like the news so like
1: all right fair <laughs> fair enough fair enough <laughs> i'd rather watch this movie than the news yeah blah. but yeah i guess we should rate this movie uh I'll, like I, three I, yeah three i'm giving it a three and all of that three is because they did some really impressive animal and vista shooting
0: yeah not
1: shooting with a gun that wasn't that impressive but
0: one of the reviews for this film said that deborah care was like Weirdly miscast and out of place. And I thought that was such a weird thing to say because her character is intentionally out of place. Like that's her whole deal. Right. But then I watched the movie and I was like, they're kind of right though. (laughs) Even for a character that's like not supposed to fit into this environment, Deborah Care does feel like this is weird. Why are you here? (laughs) Why are you specifically the one doing this
1: thing? Yeah. I mean, also her whole story of like, I want to go and find my husband and. I mean, you say that she starts making googly eyes at Quartermain when her husband is found and is a corpse. Which, by the way, I don't think they ever confirmed that at all. There's just, like, a skeleton who's been stabbed in the back. Yeah. It wasn't like they did some dental record shit or he had his wallet on him and they checked and found his passport. Like... They just go, oh, well, this guy in khakis, who's a skeleton now, probably my husband. Anyway, want to make out. Yeah. But they kiss before that in the tree. Oh, right. And then there's this very weird thing, which apparently makes it okay. Her brother, who has been on the whole safari with them and who is as important as you think he is by the fact that we have not mentioned him once.
0: <laughs> I, it, yeah.
1: Says, are you going to tell me what's going on or what is big going on? And she says, oh, well, I didn't love him and I was bad to him, so he ran away to Africa. And I'm like, we're just going to say that so that everybody feels okay about the fact that you don't seem to be all that broken up about the fact that you just found your husband's corpse. Yeah. Stabbed in the back.
0: I mean, the other weird thing is that she's a completely invented character, she's not in the novel. The novels are all like manly men doing men things in Africa and have like this travel log quality to them and don't really have any kind of a romance aspect.
1: But Hollywood.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one, yes, the movie would be better if they did that. But two, if you're just making all this shit up for her, make up something where the romance makes any fucking sense. They put all these obstacles in the way for no fucking reason. Right. Because they already have this thing of, like, they hate each other, they love each other, they hate each other. As an obstacle, you don't need to also go, like, also she's married to a guy that might still be
1: alive? Question mark, yeah. Yeah,
0: just make her that guy's sister or something. Like, it's...
1: Yep. Yeah, so three... I'm not going to say watch this movie because there are loads of animal videos on YouTube. Yeah. (laughs) If you're just like, man, I feel like killing an hour and a half seeing some lions in Africa. There is plenty for you to watch that is not this movie.
0: (laughs) I'm just now reading that Errol Flynn was set to be Quartermain in this. And then jumped ship for another colonialist fucking shit show looking at the poster for it called kim but i wonder what energy he would bring to quarterman because quarterman has no swarthiness to him you know his whole thing is he's incredibly put together and like has survived out here because he knows what he's doing i
1: mean he's pretty dark compared to all the other white people he has a really rough fake tan
0: yeah and that's um, all that
1: swarthy means is dark skin.
0: Yeah, I mean, really, I th- i think I meant like swaggering. There's no swaggering to Quartermain as a character.
1: No, he's so fucking put upon and tired of everything.
0: Right. It's hard to imagine an Errol Flynn performance that doesn't have that swagger to it. He just in like 1066 era England just saunters into the room like, what's up, motherfuckers? I'm here.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: I think it would be bad, but I'm ready to take anything over this movie, you know? Like, I would be interested to watch that bad performance in a way that I was not interested to watch Stuart Granger's performance.
1: Yeah, it's actually quite interesting that Deborah Kerr is the one who is accused of being miscast because I really feel like Stuart Granger is not the right casting for this part. And maybe that's because, like, In my mind, someone like Quartermain should have a little swagger. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's interesting because I am basing most of my knowledge of the character off of, like, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I've read, like, 30 pages of one of the novels at some point for some project I was doing in, like, college. I barely remember fucking why. But I don't have a deep knowledge of the character. I spent, like, a Sunday researching it once he is kind of supposed to be the guy in a pith helmet who hangs out at a gentleman's club and tells you about the time he shot a rhino. That like, he's the, he's shot more rhinos than anyone else. And his whole thing is that anything a man could have done in Africa, Quartermain did. I think Stork Granger is good casting for that I just don't think that's very interesting on film. The (laughs) ideal format for that is sitting around drinking and bullshitting and not a motion picture Yeah I hated it I have nothing, that's all
1: So next week we are watching the last 1950 nominee which is Born Yesterday starring William Holden As the only person listed on here whose name I recognize.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yet another absolutely baller tagline, though. I have no idea what this is. I have no idea if in 1950 anybody knew what the hell this is. But the called shot of, it's here at last, is...
1: Oh god, I've just been waiting on it. (laughs) Yeah,
0: we've all...
1: (laughs) Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, tune in next week to find out if Born Yesterday is at least better than this movie. <laughs> it is the
0: only 1950 movie I have absolutely no expectations for whatsoever. Because like King Solomon's Minds, I at least had the like quarter main thing to hang on to. I didn't have positive expectations, but I did have a like, what is this thing? I am interested to watch what the hell a Quartermain movie is and why there aren't more of them in a weird way. And I got my answer. And I was interested to watch Father of the Bride because of the modern Father of the Bride. And I was interested to watch All About Eve and Sunset Boulevard because they fucking rule. <laughs> and this is the only one where I'm like, it's here at last. Like I,
1: <laughs> I have absolutely no idea what it is about. Or anything. So we'll find out next week. And until then...
0: This was a novel that came out in like 1880. And they were really rushing to put out a big epic and thought it would be easy to go to Africa. And it turned out to be very hard to go to Africa. And so everything impressive about the movie was going to Africa. And they kind of forgot about the movie part.
1: I was just going to say this was a National Geographic special. (laughs) also true
0: so you win on conciseness
1: mm. Woo! hooray right. <laughs> bye Goodbye. everybody i'm gonna get us out of here before those fellows outside start warming up and carrying out your orders